Well, if you would turn in um, your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, and come down now to the last chapter in this little letter. And our scripture reading tonight is verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5. So hear now the word of the Lord. First John one, excuse me, first John five, one through five. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Amen. The end of chapter 4, we noted the emphasis, at least in that last portion uh, on um, the strong emphasis on love, love of God, love of brother. First uh, John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we talked about how uh, of the three tests in John Perhaps love was uh, one of the ones he emphasized a lot. And we've been kind of analyzing each one of the tests uh, in its own place as we've gone through the letter. But one of the things that we shouldn't overlook or think is that somehow all of these exist in a vacuum or exist separately. Uh, the fact is there's an interrelationship with all of these things. Even though he's examined them individually, they're all connected. And this particular, this section here, these five verses, we see that connection. We see the connection of love. We see the connection of obedience. We see the connection of faith, which we could see as connected to truth. And so they're blended, blended together in this particular section. But there's kind of a core element that unites them in this section. And the, um, the thing that we want to see, and it's in verses 4, well, excuse me, 1 and verse 4, is the core element that seems to be what ties them together in this particular context is the idea of the new birth, those who are born of God. That seems to be the, the, the glue of this section, holding these three tests together. And uh, the identity of, a Christ, identity of a Christian is one who is born again, <clears throat> regeneration. And so what I want to direct you to think about tonight is, first of all, the, uh, in relation to the new birth, the primacy of the new birth, its importance, its... its it, the, the, the primary place it has in this section. 
And then the evidences of the new birth or of those who are born of God as we see them in this particular text. And even as we bring up the topic of regeneration and the new birth, we remember Nicodemus's conversation with Jesus as John records it for us in John chapter 3. And he comes to Jesus and as one who is obviously from God. And Jesus confronts him um, in a rather strong way. And he says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus didn't have a, he didn't understand that. Jesus does go on in that John 3 section to make clear that the new birth, regeneration, is a powerful work of the Holy Spirit. That um, the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And so here in this section of, of his letter, 1 John 5, 1 through 5, we see the kind of the, the primacy, primary place of, of this new birth. So if you look at verse 1 again, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So twice in that verse, actually there's a third time, but twice very, the way this translation has the ESV, you have that phrase, born of him. Uh, the interesting thing is, uh, and I guess I'll come back to it again, but the phrase who loves the father, or excuse me, the word father in this verse is not the typical Greek word for father, either um, pater or Abba, the more familiar um, word for father. It's literally uh, the uh, uh, the one, um, excuse me. So, and everyone who loves the father, it really is whoever loves the one who gave him birth also loves uh, the rest of them who are born of him. So it's Actually, the word being born is three times in there, but the one is, it's, it's, it's appropriate to be translated father. We don't need to quibble that. But literally, being born is three times in that verse. And then come to verse 4, and everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So this idea of the new birth ties all these things, all these things together. Uh, it's a very significant central place in this particular passage. And he's going to go on to give some description, what I'm calling evidences of the new birth. Uh, we're going to see in a moment uh, the one who is born of God believes, loves, obeys, or keeps the commandments and overcomes. But here we get into grammar again that's very significant as we're thinking about this is all those descriptions, believing, loving, obeying, or keeping, and overcoming, are all present participles, which means they're verbs that communicate a continuing action. It's something that is ongoing in our lives. It's a continual practice 
as a part of our lives. But the word for being born, uh, born uh, by the Father, uh, born of God, is a perfect participle. And that verb form communicates the idea that it's a, a point of action in the past that has continuing results. So if you analyze the relationship between believing and keeping and, and overcoming and being born again, born again, uh, when you think about uh, the, the description of being believing, what comes first? Well, the new birth comes first. Being born again comes first. It's the root out of which grows the evidences of our being born again. It's the grand, great work of God. So regeneration precedes faith, love, uh, obedience, and overcoming. <clears throat> so what are the evidences of the new birth? So the new birth is central. What are the evidences of the new birth? There are uh, three in particular that I'm going to focus on. Uh, the first is faith. So we come back to verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So it's believing or faith. And the, the, the words in are interchangeable. It's translated believe. You could have uh, the word faith there just as well. And you come back again to verse 4. Uh, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So the word for believing, the word for faith, it's all the same word. It's communicating faith is an evidence, a description of the one who is born again. So if you're born again, if you're born of God, you will have faith. It's a very significant uh, element. Now, what is faith? And what I'd like you to do is take your hymnal here uh, for a moment and turn in the back to page 947. Our catechisms give some really good helps to us. This is um, question 72 of the larger catechism. The shorter catechism is very good, too. It's just a little more succinct. This has a little bit more in it for us. So page 947, question 72. What is justifying faith? Justifying faith is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and Word of God, whereby he, being convinced of his sin and misery and of the disability in himself, and all other creatures to recover him out of his lost condition, not only assenteth to the truth of the promise of the gospel, but receiveth and resteth upon Christ and his righteousness, therein held forth, for pardon of sin and for the accepting and accounting of his person righteous in the sight of God for salvation. And... An important aspect of that, that's just a wonderful description of faith. You can see the different elements of faith. It's coming to understand our 
our need, uh, our sin and our misery, knowing the truth of the gospel and Christ, <clears throat> receiving and resting on that. Faith is not a an empty hope. Uh, faith is built on tr- truth and knowledge. We understand certain things, and because we understand certain things, we have faith. <clears throat> if you have faith in a person, just here thinking humanly speaking, you have faith in them because you know something about them. They're uh, a faithful person, faithful character. You've seen it lived out in their life. And the same thing is true of our faith. We not only become convinced of our need, but we, we know the truth about God and about his son, Jesus Christ. And so we live every day by faith. And John here, again, gives some of the some specifics of the content of our faith. In verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, uh, the Jewish believer would have had a whole lot of baggage in him, understanding the Messiah and who he was and what he came to do. For the Gentile, it might have moved in the direction of Redeemer, Savior. Um, In verse 5, it says, Who is he that overcomes except the world, except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The central focus of our faith is Christ, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all the richness of who he is. Uh, So the two titles in this section specifically are the Christ, Messiah, and the Son of God. It's believing the apostolic witness. Uh, If we go back to chapter 4, verse 6, and we looked at this, it's in the context of confessing Christ, but John writes, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John, speaking on behalf of the apostolic witness, says, whoever is born of God, whoever is a Christian, listens to that apostolic witness, and that's the the substance of our faith, is what is preached by the apostles. So if we're born of God, we will have faith. Faith in God. Christ is Messiah, Jesus as the Christ, and Jesus as the Son of God. The full richness of all that he is. Uh, So that's the first evidence of being born of God. The second evidence of being born of God is is love. A love of the Father. And that's where we come back to verse 1 again. Um, Everyone who loves the Father. So the first element of our love is loving God. We have to to love God. Love the one who gave us birth. Love the one who demonstrated his love in such a great way. And as John begins to kind of unfold this, what does it mean to love God? How do we demonstrate our love for God? If you say you love God, how do you 
How do you give evidence of that true love of God in your life? Well, verse 3 tells us, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And here we see the blending, as I mentioned earlier, of these tests. Here we have both love and obedience, and they're brought together in this particular verse. If, uh, if we, we show our love for God by keeping his commandments, uh, we, um, we don't keep his commandments to gain justification. Jesus kept the law for his people to purchase our justification. We, by God's grace, keep his commandments for a very different purpose and that's to demonstrate our love for the Father and our desire to please Him. Uh, and he go, John goes on to say, and His commandments are not a burden. Now that almost seems startling to us because you know when we read the Old Testament law or even some of the commandments spelled out in the New Testament, boy, it sure seems like a tall order. Uh, that that certainly seems like a burden. But the point that John is making here is when we love someone and we desire to please them, then we're willing to do those things that are necessary to please him. And William Barclay has a great comment on that. He's not a universally faithful commentator, so... When you read William Barclay, you want to kind of keep your antenna up just a little bit. Uh, but that doesn't mean there's nothing good in uh, his commentaries. And this is a great comment of his. He says, for love, no duty is too hard and no task is too great. That which we would never do for a stranger, we will willingly attempt for a loved one. That which we would never give to a stranger, we will gladly give to a loved one. That which would be an impossible sacrifice if a stranger demanded it becomes a willing gift when love needs it. Difficult the commandments of Christ are, burdensome they are not. For Christ never laid a commandment on a man without giving him the strength to carry it. And every commandment that is laid upon us provides another chance to show our love. So we demonstrate our love for God by keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdened because we love him. A second way we demonstrate our love for God is by loving the Father's children. That's what the last part of verse 1 is saying. Whoever loves the Father, the one who's given him life, loves whoever has been born of him. If we love the Father, we will love those whom the Father has redeemed, those whom the Father has given new life to. It's part of how we demonstrate that. Uh, And if we kind of analyze it just a little bit further, how do we know that we love the Father's children? What's the evidence of us loving brothers and sisters in Christ? 
there are two things. In verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, so loving the Father is a way that we demonstrate an evidence that we love our brothers. Because if we love God, we'll love those brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we don't love them, we're showing that we truly haven't loved God. So we demonstrate that we love for the Father's children by loving God, by loving the Father, and then secondly, in verse 2, and obeying his commandments. And that seems to be a repetition, maybe overdoing it, but you see how they're all, all these things are blending together. The way we demonstrate our love for God, the Father, is we obey his commands and we love his children. And the way we show that we love his children is by loving the Father and doing his commands. And it's not double talk, though it may be uh, give it a little bit emphatic in the way it puts it together, but you see how they're all woven together as part of the demonstration that we are truly born again. The evidence of the spiritual life uh, that's within us. So the um, evidences of being born again is faith, it's love, and along with that, obedience. And then the third is overcoming. In verse 4, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Well, in an earlier message when we were going through 1 John, uh, we talked about some of the different meanings of the word world. <clears throat> and I was uh, reminded or directed to this um, the book by A.W. Pink, The Sovereignty of God. And, and here's where your handout that where you were given, kind of you can look at that. Um, I want to go through that briefly. Um, it's uh, in his book, The Sovereignty of God. One of the appendices is on this. What is the word? What does the word, word world mean? And that appendix is uh, broader than what I just gave you because one of the points Pink made in that book is that in John 3.16, the word world means the elect. God so loved the elect <clears throat> that he gave his only begotten son. So this appendix is trying to defend that point by analyzing the word world. Now just a word on finding the book. If, if, you have any, if any of you have an interest in pursuing this topic, the sovereignty of God, it's really an excellent book. Uh, but the one thing I will caution you on is uh, there are some printings of the book that don't have the appendix in it and are missing, I think, a chapter or two as well. Still would be greatly edifying. The Banner of Truth copy in particular is one where it doesn't have the appendix, um, and I think it's missing a chapter or two as well. Still would be greatly edifying, so if you, can, if you get that, be sure and read it. But you can find... Um, copies of the sovereignty of God by Pink with the appendix. 
So my caution to you is that, so like on Amazon, you can find it on Amazon. And you know how if you've ever searched for a book on Amazon, you can often get the table of contents and see it. So always be sure before you purchase it, if you want the appendix, that you look at the table of contents and be sure it's there. And it can be found. There's at least two different copies. There's one produced by Wilder Publications and another by a company called Bridge Logos. And they both have the appendix. There's one, another book that I found on Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service published by Whitaker House. It too has the appendix. So you can find it. <clears throat> you just need to be careful uh, to be sure if, you, if you're looking for it, that you look, find the one uh, with the appendix, appendices in it. So let me just, let's just run through um, Pink's analysis of the word world and different, and he gives seven different uses of the word world because I want to come back to the question, what does it mean to overcome the world? So the seven that he gives there is cosmos's use of the universe as a whole. He quotes Acts 17, 24, God that made the world and all things therein seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth. So the world here is the universe as a whole, subdivided by heaven and earth. Uh, number two is that cosmos is used of the earth. In John 13, 1, when Jesus knew that his hour was come and that he should depart out of this world, meaning out of this earth or the life on this earth, unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them to the end. Uh, number three is cosmos is used of the world system. John 12 to 31, now is the judgment of this world, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. <clears throat> that probably is one of the more common uses of it, especially in John's letter. Uh, do not love the world or anything in the world, for the love of the, whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. <clears throat> probably thinking more of the world system of values. Number four, cosmos is used of the whole human race. Now we know that whatever uh, that what things whoever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped in the whole and all the world may become guilty before God. Five cosmos is used of humanity. Minus believers <clears throat> in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, the believers, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Six is uh, cosmos is used of Gentiles in contrast from Jews. Now, if the fall of them, Israel, be the riches of the world, this is Romans eleven twelve, and the diminishing of them of Israel, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their there is Israel's fullness. So there's a contrast between uh, Jew and uh, Gentile. And then seven, cosmos is used to believers only. And he has much more to say about it, but that's what he uses to defend his position on John 3.16. So what does it mean to overcome the world? Uh, it means to be and perhaps here, again, world system may be more particularly what's in view, but it's the 
temptations and falsehoods and deceit that, that exist in our world that we overcome, uh, the temptations that come. In a sense, we could say the temptations can come from within our indwelling sin. That's uh, the remnants of uh, perhaps the world that still remains in us, even as Christians. But the deceitfulness of the world around us, their values, their priorities, uh, their counsel, their advice, and it's a battle that we're in against these things, against the temptations of the evil one, against the inclinations of the old man, and we're in this battle against uh, these uh, these assaults that come against us. And uh, there in verse 4 it says um, uh, that the uh, this is the... <clears throat> Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So if we have the new nature in us because God has put us in us, we're going to overcome that. Doesn't mean it will be easy. Doesn't mean it will be automatic. Doesn't mean it will be perfect. But what it means is if we are by nature in God and connected to him, we will not be at home in the world. Uh, We are at home with God, we're not at home with the world. And so we're in a a warfare. As Paul would put it in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We we wrestle against these, uh, these challenges that come our way in various forms and um, are represented in the word world. So whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. You see, it's our faith in the truth of God. It's our faith in listening to the apostolic witness. It's our faith in the work of Christ, in the person of Christ, in the richness of all that he is, that enables us to resist the, the assaults that come against us. And so... When we're struggling in that warfare, the thing to to help maybe bring to mind is not only do we belong to God, he's given us a new nature, but uh, is to look to Christ. Keep our focus and attention on on him. Remember your faith in Jesus and all that he has done. Uh, And... um, the so we have the 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 one who's born of God will overcome the world and the victory is faith and then in verse five who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes there's uh, our faith again and it it comes out really more in the tense of the verb again the overcoming isn't a one time event it's a continuous battle that exists throughout all our lives. The scriptures, you know, bring that battle in a lot of different forms. Paul talks about putting to death (coughs) the passions of our flesh. In Romans 6, he talks about reckon, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. There's the victory that comes through faith in holding fast to God and his truth. 
it's a moment, it's a continuous thing, it's a moment by moment thing. And uh, it's what God is calling us to do. We get kind of a, a little picture of this. If you go back and reread the letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, in every single letter, the comment is made, to him who overcomes, and then there's usually a blessing or a help that comes. God is calling us to be overcomers in the battle against uh, unbelief, against sin, against temptation. So what John would leave us with thinking about or reflecting on is, uh, are we born of God? And do we have the evidences or the marks of those who are born of God? And none of these things, these evidences, faith, love, overcoming, none of these things will ever be perfectly realized in this life. A friend recently told me, I'm a work in progress. Uh, well, every single one of us here is a work in progress. Uh, if you were perfect, you'd be in heaven. So you're not there yet. If you're not in heaven yet, then you're a work in progress. Now, I'm not saying that to excuse wrongdoing or anything. I don't mean that or make to let you off the hook. <clears throat> but what I mean is we're all seeking to follow the Lord and faithfully as, he, as, as we can by his grace. And when we're discouraged, just remember that it's a progress that we're in. And we're not there yet. Uh, and it's, it's, it's good to be sobered when you trip and fall. But at the same time, don't despair. It's your father that wants to put you back on the path and help you along the way. <clears throat> and so you and I are called as those born of God to walk by faith and walk in love and walk in overcoming to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word and how it brings us such helpful and practical truth. We desire, as those who are born of you, to give the evidence of that in our lives. We need your grace to do that. <clears throat> we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us do that, and uh, we pray, O oh Lord, that as we embark on another week, that you will fill us with your grace, strengthen our faith, strengthen our love, strengthen our determination to overcome, that we will bring glory to you in your holy name, and we ask this in Jesus' name.